Would you turn in to 2 Peter in the scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, the words will appear behind me on the screen as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, the first 11 verses. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an, uh, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My question to you this morning, and don't jump in with an answer, too soon, is, are you ready for heaven? Oh, and I, I think you're glad that I said don't answer so, so quickly. Are you ready for heaven? And um, this question, really, we need to address it at two levels, because at one level, as we've been looking at authentic faith, we saw in our very first message that apostolic assurance tells us that the moment you put your trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone for your salvation, you are ready for heaven. In other words, what qualifies you for heaven is not your performance on the earth, but your trust in the one who has performed everything for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only paid the price for our sin, but he qualified us with the gift of his righteousness so that now we are saved, not by our own works or our own righteousness, but by the completed work of Jesus. So that means we are justified by faith alone, which is the historic stance of, of, of scripture uh, and, and doctrine uh, with a few variations here and there. We understand that the word of God declares that it is God who qualifies you for heaven through faith in Christ and that's nothing to do with you. All he requires is you trust in Jesus. 
Now, R.T. Kendall will be with us next week, and very often when R.T. finishes a service, he will address an appeal to the congregation, giving an opportunity for people who have not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus to do so. And uh, here's something of what he says. It's based on uh, James Kennedy's presentation of the gospel evangelism explosion. And the first question is this, is have you come to that place in your life where you could say for certain that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? Now the answer is yes, no, or I don't know. But if the answer is yes, yes, I have that assurance, I'm going to heaven, then we need to say, well, what is the ground of that assurance? Because it could be some highly presumptuous thing to say, yes, I'm, I know I'm going to heaven. And so the next question is, suppose you were to die and stand before God, and you will, not necessarily today, if you're not happy to know, but you will, we all will one day, stand before God, uh, and you will, uh, and he were to say to you, and he might, why should I let you come into my heaven? Now, the answer you give to that question will show the ground of your assurance. And uh, Artie is very good at explaining this. So, for example, if the response to that question is, yes, I know that our God will let me into his heaven, and he should because I've been a good person, because I've done some good stuff in life or, or my bad stuff has been outweighed by the good stuff. And uh, the question is, who are you depending on then? And if that question or the answer to that question in any way suggests that you are depending on yourself or anyone else other than Jesus Christ, then at the very least you need to have some understanding of the real way of being saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, tell us the way. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that no one can boast. If it's anything to do with you, you can say, hey, I'm going to heaven, you know, I'm, I'm a cut above the average. Do you know what? I, I've paid my tithes. I've done my good deeds. I've gone to the worship services. I've done everything religiously required of me. I've lived a moral life. Uh, and some of the bad stuff that I've done, God will overlook anyway because I'm not so bad after all. Your dependence is you. Don't ever be in that position. We've got to put all our eggs in one basket, and that is Christ alone by grace through faith and faith alone. Now, we're going to go on to verse 10 a little later on in the service, but that's the first answer that you could, could give if your faith is in Jesus to say, yes, I am ready for heaven because I'm going there by the blood of Jesus. I'm not depending on a church. I'm not depending on a man or a woman or a ministry or any good works or any intermediary means, methods, places, or things, or ceremonies. Just pure faith in Christ's simple grace. Hallelujah. Now then, let's go a little deeper. I can ask the same question, and some of us, including myself, might wish to give a slightly different answer because it's a different kind of question. Are you ready for heaven? Now, I'm not saying are you qualified and are you going, but are you ready? 
I mean, ready to the point that you know that when you die, not only will you stand before God, but when Christ receives you into the kingdom, you know that you will not be ashamed. That you know that you've lived in such a way that honors him that you will hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of your Lord. Now the final message in this series on 2 Peter chapter 1 addresses exactly that point. We'll cut to the chase. It says, verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, he is not asking us to doubt whether we are saved. If we are believers in Christ, we have the same kind of faith, as precious as the apostles, no different. The faith that was in Peter is in you, no different. You've been made a partaker of the divine nature through these great and precious promises. No difference. We are all qualified. And by those promises, we have been given a new power by which we can escape the corruption of the world in the world through lusts. But the next question is, what have you done about it on this earth? Have you, as it says in verses 5 and onwards, have you invested your faith into practical action. James says, faith that is not accompanied by action is fruitless. In other words, it's of no use. It cannot bear fruit unless you do something. So if you say you believe something and do nothing about it, you will remain unfruitful in that area. So Peter is saying, I don't just want you to get to heaven, but I want you to have an abundant entrance into heaven. And here he's teaching into a very strong New Testament theme concerning rewards. Heaven is not your reward. Heaven is a free gift. But heaven is where you receive your reward. And so He's talking about not just entrance into heaven, but abundant entrance. In other words, what kind of entrance is going to be? Are you going to be received with, with abundance, with, with so much of the reward of his presence and, and of the joy? And don't, don't think that we're all going to be treated the same in heaven. There are degrees of glory in heaven. Did you know that? Paul says the resurrection is like this. There are different degrees of glory in the celestial planets and the stars. Even the sun and the moon differs in glory. So even in resurrection, there is a difference. We are not all going to be treated evenly in heaven. Entrance is on a level playing field. But what we do with what we have will determine what we will enjoy of God forever in eternity. So this is about reward. Now, when you go to the New Testament, it's quite neglected today, this topic. You will find how Every author stresses this. Let's go with Jesus himself. Read the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you do this, great will be your reward. Great will be your reward. He says, if you, if you uh, uh, refuse to follow and pursue the riches of this world, but pursue the true riches, what will happen? You will have 
treasure in heaven. Jesus teaches reward. Paul teaches reward. Everywhere we go, even Paul says, you know, in Philippians 3, he says, I haven't yet attained this. What? The out-resurrection from the dead. In other words, the glory that God has for me. I want to, before I die, lay hold of everything and accomplish everything and be everything that God had in his mind when he laid hold of me. Paul says, I am moving towards this. I haven't attained yet. So I guess at that point, in that narrow context, if we said, Paul, are you ready for heaven? He'll say, wait, wait, I haven't attained yet. There was stuff to attain on this earth before he entered the reward of heaven. So this is another perspective. It's not about trying to cause you to doubt whether you're qualified for heaven because Jesus has qualified you and he's going to keep you. You can't lose what he's given. He's given you eternal life. But at the same time, he's going to be testing our works to see what we've done with what he's given us. And I think there will be people who will be ashamed to stand before him, as, as John says, don't be ashamed at his coming. Uh, the book of Hebrews gives us many, many warnings, several major warnings about what we can lose, not our salvation, but our inheritance, what we can fail to enter if we do not love God and serve him with all our heart and bear fruit in our life. And in this passage, Peter highlights two of the major motivations for living a holy life. There are more, but he highlights two. And so he says, let's have a look at it. He says um, in verse 10, therefore be uh, verse 9, he says, he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. So there's a vision problem and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So there is a memory problem. Let's start with the memory problem first. He says, if if you do not grow in in your faith and make it a priority to bring forth fruit for God, and it's so important today that we do that because the people outside aren't interested in what we say. They're interested in what we do. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think this society is fed up of what Christians say. They're not interested in what we say. Let's show them what we do. Let's show them our faith by what we do. And they're going to need it because our society is collapsing and collapsing and collapsing. And we can stand up and shout and we can protest and we can write letters to the telegraph or we can go on discussion programs. Not going to listen to us at all but they're going to watch us. And when we show them that we have the fruits of the kingdom, they'll say, give me some of that fruit. They will want to know because our lives are attractive, because our lives speak of Jesus. So there's a lot at stake here. Now suppose we are getting a a little bit slippy, slipshoddy over the, the living a holy life side of things. A lot of people can say, well, okay, it's great. I love it. You know, I've got my ticket to heaven. Got my ticket, my passport, that's wonderful. I keep it with me always. You never know, maybe today, but uh, hope not. Even so, Lord, stay a little while longer in heaven because I've got a lot of stuff here. I haven't finished all my plans, haven't even got married yet. And uh, I've made a big investment in this business. I'd like to see some of the fruit of that on this earth before we get to heaven. And 
and holiness, you can wait for that heaven, but right now, Lord, give me a little more happiness. I'm very comfortable where I am. The early Christians never lived like that. The early Christians never lived like that at all. They lived in the, in the agony of so much pressure that for them it was a daily prayer, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. It wasn't escapism. They were looking for their true home. They knew that their, their home, their citizenship was in heaven, that they were just pilgrims on this earth. We're just passing through here. What we see, what we live is a preparation for the future. So how do we stir ourselves up as Peter does. First of all, I'm going to go to the second thing first. He says, we're going to deal with the memory problem. He says, if, you, if you're not growing in faith, if you're not adding to your faith, if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not seeking to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, you have forgotten something. You've got a memory problem. You've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. Now, You'd think people would never forget that. New Christians who suddenly come into the joy of knowing their sins are forgiven, they, they say, it's just so wonderful. Once I was blind, now I see. I was full of sin, now God has set me free. And they testify to that and they're living in the joy of their salvation and they're so thrilled to know that God has qualified them to go to heaven. Jesus taken their sins away and they're so grateful there isn't anything they wouldn't do. The answer is yes. What's the question? The answer is yes, we're ready to do anything. But you know, the years go by and we start living our Christian life and we forget that we are sinners at heart apart from the grace of God. We look at people in society, see how wicked they are, how unbelieving they are, how holy we are, not, but we think we are. We're not living in the freshness of the joy of our salvation. So when you look at what God has done, and what he's done for you, and your past has been taken away, and Christ has died for you, you were saved, you live in the light of freshness of that, keep that fresh in your mind, you'll always be grateful, you'll always be thankful, you'll always be ready to serve God, because you're just so happy, just so grateful, so happy to be saved, all of grace, all of grace, thank you Jesus. So, Peter in other places says, I'm, I know you know this, I just want to stir you up so that you're you will remember, don't ever forget, remind one another of what we were. Remind one another what Jesus has done for us. And out of that gratitude, freshness of salvation, we're, we're going to be ready to serve him. That's the memory problem. But then there's a vision problem. It's the first thing he mentioned. It's a vision problem. And uh, he says you're short-sighted. If you're not adding to your faith, if you're not growing, if you're not flourishing and bearing fruit and living for the glory of God, you have a vision problem. You are short-sighted. What does it mean in this context to be short-sighted? It means you're taking the short view. You're not taking the long-range view. You're not thinking about the distance. You're thinking about only life here and now. Now, uh, there's a, a wonderful passage that highlights this for me. And that's in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, it's the story of Moses. And uh, you will know what, Moses, what happened in Moses' life. You will recall that Moses was adopted into the household, the royal household of Egypt. And uh, he became, as it were, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
and he had all the wealth and, and all the knowledge and all the training and maybe even he was heading towards inheriting the very throne of Egypt. He had, had the top position in all of that. Then he discovered who he was. He discovered that he was a Hebrew and he saw the plight of his brethren and so he identified with their plight, turned his back on the riches, the wealth, the prestige and the power of Egypt. And so in Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says this, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He turned his back on it all. Verse 25, choosing. So something he refused and something he chose. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Are you crazy? Moses, what got into you? You must be crazy. You refuse wealth, honor, power, prestige, which is what most people on planet Earth are living for, hoping for, including many Christians living for this world, living for what the best of this world can give them, thinking, well, it doesn't really matter, heaven can wait, but now I want material prosperity. Now I want satisfaction. Now I want to feel good. Now I want my life to go well. Heaven can wait, but now, give me, give me now. That is short-sighted, Peter says. Uh, uh, Moses he was certainly not suffering from short-sightedness. He was taking the long view. Verse 25 again, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the, with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Then the writer to the Hebrews brings us right up into New Testament kind of Christian language by saying, verse 26, he was esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? For he looked to the reward. He had a long-range view. He was not short-sighted. Everything that we do, even if it hurts for Christ, and... Um, I wish I could tell you, let me just give you some, some crazy preaching today. You come to Christ, everything is going to be wonderful. You never have any problems. All your prayers will be instantly answered exactly the way you want. And whatever you want from this life, Jesus as Papa Gatto, Father Christmas, will give you exactly what you want. Is that the gospel? Is that the, a false gospel if we were to preach it? That is a false gospel. But it is what many Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical believers live for. And in this church, we want to get back to the real gospel of Jesus. And because I want to prepare you for what is to come. Not even just this life. I want good stuff for you. But, but I, I want to help you for that, for that day. I want to help myself for that day. 
So that if it comes to it, that to say no to things which some of it might even be legitimate, and a lot of it isn't legitimate anyway, worldly pleasures, but some of that stuff which is even legitimate and all the stuff that we think makes us feel good, that's not legitimate, and we say no to that, it hurts. There is a suffering here. Especially in today's world, in the 21st century, where it's becoming increasingly like the first century, where, where, where people do not want to put up with the values of the kingdom. People today want, want to speak evil of us and of Christians. Listen to this, Jesus speaking. Verse 22 of Luke 6 Blessed are you when men hate you. Oh, um, I think I'll change my message. Is there something nicer than I? Is there some ice cream fruit salad message here? Uh, sorry, I, I, I just have to just have to go with the liver and onions today. This is good stuff, though. Listen, it's the corrective we need in our hedonistic, lovers of pleasure, short-sighted lifestyle that we have baptized from the world and called it uh, Christianity. Let's get back to to the book. Jesus said, blessed are you. You're happy when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. You're not blessed just because people hate you. Sometimes you behave in a kind of way, you deserve it. But, 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 but when, when they're doing it for the sake of Christ, that it's Christ in you that they hate, you're really blessed. And uh, verse 23, Jesus says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? For indeed your reward is great in heaven. This is a long-range eternal perspective. And by that reckoning, if this was the deal, and I can probably quite safely say for most of us it's, it's not like this, but it could be for some of us, uh, uh, and it could be and is for a lot of other believers in different parts of the world. But suppose that you, you were in an evangelistic service and, and you said, I'm going to respond, where do I sign up? Because I want my sins forgiven. I want eternal life. Where do I sign up? And you begin, I give you a sheet of paper and you sign up. And an angel comes and says, before you sign up, I want you to be sure that you really want to follow Jesus. Sure, you will get heaven because the door of heaven is opened. Christ has paid the price, absolutely. But you need to know what for you following Christ will mean. Suppose the angel was to say, and he's not going to say this to everybody, because everybody has our, we all have our own path, all right? But there will be elements of this for all of us because we all have to take up our cross and follow him. But suppose this was an individual thing and the angel said, right, okay, you're going to be hated. You're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your your money, your job, your inheritance, your prestige, your place in society. You're going to lose your friends and your family. And you'll never ever, nobody ever want, you'll never be married. And 
one day, you and very, very soon, actually not for very far from now, you are going to lose your own life, your very life. Do you still want to sign up? For the early believers, it was exactly like that for many of them. Many believers today, it's exactly like that. And thank God that we live in a relatively prosperous, relatively free society. Both our prosperity and our freedom is being eroded, but we still have so much to give thanks to God for. Have we become a little bit too comfortable and forgotten that for all of us, rich or poor, Young or old, married, single, in work, out of work, employed, re-employed, deployed, unemployed. It's the same message. Whoever desires to follow me, let him take up his cross and die daily. And the degree to which we follow Christ as a disciple of him, pulling a producing fruit by the Holy Spirit in our lives, serving him, doing all that he's called us to do. The degree to which we bear that fruit, that's the degree to which our abundant entrance into heaven will be celebrated. So let's go back, I promised you Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's read it again, then go to verse 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created, I like to use the word recreated, because this is the new creation. Newly created, recreated in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That goes on into verse 11. This tells us that when God came into your life and uh, revealed himself and, and, and the Holy Spirit inspired faith and you obtained the same precious faith as the apostles and he gave you this the impartation and participation in the divine nature gave you a new power by which you can bear fruit for God and escape the corruption in the world and begin to grow in fresh desires to love God, desire God, enjoy God and bear fruit in your life. When all of that happened, God said, I have marked you out with a call and a destiny. In one sense, it's equal to us. All we have the same kind of call, but I also believe that for us as individuals, there are specific good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. There is a plan for your salvation. There's a plan, a call. You've been marked out to live a holy life, a course set out before you, and, and if you are faithful in completing that course, of finishing, that, finishing that race, attaining to the things that he's marked for you, you have made made your call and election sure, you fulfilled it, then you enter into the reward of your Lord in heaven. So, you have to understand that this is, this is not uh, something to be treated lightly. We have a high call. 
Peter says, if you do these things, if these things are yours and abound, what things? We read them in 2 Peter verses, uh, one, chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Essentially, it's the nature and character of Christ, uh, fruitfully being formed within you, making ma- manifest and visible the spiritual life in you, spiritual formation, spiritual formation, even to the point where the the divine nature itself in you manifests to the point where you become godly, like God in your life, not becoming God. We're not new age people here. We're talking about being godlike. And if these fruitful things abound in you, which is the word meaning greater in quality, greater in quantity, if you do these things faithfully, uh, God promises you two things. First of all, you will never stumble and fall into blindness, ineffectiveness, unfruitfulness. You'll never stumble and you will enjoy an abundant entrance into heaven. When it says you will never stumble, what this is saying here doesn't mean to say that you will live sinlessly and perfectly. Um, James says that if you don't sin in what you say, if you, if you, if you are perfect in what you say, then you're, you're, you've, reached, you've reached perfection. So often it's the things that come out of our mouth that really reveals how much, how much further we've got to go. And uh, John says, I write these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he, he, he is the propitiation for our sins. There is grace and forgiveness, and a song which you may sing at the end, I like it even though I may stumble and fall, his grace covers all, I'm forgiven. Thank God for forgiveness, not we presume on it, we have to walk in forgiveness, but it doesn't mean to say that if you do this diligently, you will, you will reach perfection, But it it does mean to say that you will avoid making shipwreck of your faith. It means that you will avoid coming to the place where you have fallen so far away from God that you are barren and unfruitful. Interesting that such a thing exists. A barren and unfruitful Christian. Still a Christian, but barren. So say, no, no, every Christian must be fruitful. If you're not fruitful, you're not a Christian. That's very harsh judgment. It's not what Peter is saying here. You have to do certain things, put your faith into practice in order to be fruitful. Otherwise, you will be barren and unfruitful as a Christian. It ought not to be, but exist. It exists. And it exists all too often, sadly. I'll ask you a question. I want you to visualize in front of here uh, an apple tree. An apple tree, okay? So there's this apple tree, and the apple tree bears fruit because it's an apple tree. Apple tree doesn't bear pears. Take it to the horticultural freak show if it did. Apple tree bears apples because it's an apple tree. That's what it's supposed to do. And that's what you'd expect if you tended it, made sure it wasn't diseased and so forth. But it is possible for a tree to be an apple tree and never bear fruit. Does that mean it's not an apple tree? No, it's just not a fruitful apple tree. 
and that does exist. You've got to say, that's weird, that's strange, that should never happen. You want to find out what's wrong and try and fix that? Of course it is, but that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, I see many, many trees, apple trees here, but where's your fruit? God wants you to bring forth fruit for himself. And if you do these things, you will never be barren and fruitful and you will never stumble. You'll never fall to the point where you are lost altogether to the whole process of fruitfulness and miss your reward, miss everything God has for you. That's the first thing. Second thing he promises you, if you do this, then you will be ready for heaven. You will have an abundant entrance into heaven He doesn't just say you will go to heaven. That's assumed if you believe you're going to go to heaven. But you'll have an abundant entrance, an abundant welcome into the everlasting kingdom. I think I can put it this way. God's going to throw you a party, a welcome party in heaven. Now, we, we, we love, give me my, one of those big red hands. Give me one of those big red hands. Welcome hands. I want a big, big red. You know these big red hands? You know, we, it's, it's over the top. We, we, we're just, it's typical Kensington Temple. Over, over the top stuff. When, when we put these big red hands, I want two. Can I have another one? Do they fit on both hands? Do they fit on both hands? Hallelujah. Here's another one. Can we put that on the left hand? Help me here. Thank you very much. Very, very good. Okay, now then, this is typical Kensington Temple, OTT. <laughs> we put on these big red hands because we're saying, hey, you're welcome. These are welcome hands. So you know, follow the red hand and we will take you out that door there and we will serve you just amazing coffee. I checked after nine o'clock service, the coffee is still amazing. And then we'll talk to you and then we'll encourage you and then we'll invite you to a welcome party. And when we have that welcome party, we'll all get together and we, we, and we, we with, the, with the hands after that. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 because we want you to feel welcome. You're a special guest. You're welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. We throw a party for you. Now, Peter says, if you are fruitful and you fulfill what God has called you to do, not only will you get to heaven, but you will be abundantly welcomed into heaven. And some of the words that are used when we look at them, um, they're amazing. I've got had so much respect for Peter when I see the words that he uses. He, you know, he's not no longer this rough, ready, rude, crude, northern Galilean fisherman. He's a man refined by the Holy Spirit, given divine inspiration and eloquence and precision in his words. The word that he uses here kind of suggests a group of people gathering kind of in a circle. And it's almost saying that when you get to heaven, you will be a special guest. All the focus is on Jesus, but don't forget Jesus will be, will be welcoming you. And there, there'll be singing. There'll be music. Even the word is related to the, way, the word we use for choreography. So as a former dancer, don't try even to dissuade me otherwise. There's going to be singing and music and feasting and dancing. He's going to throw a welcome party and welcome abundantly those who are fruitful. doesn't mean to say the others and say, you, not fruitful, get over there, talk to you later. No, it won't be like that. But do you think in any way 
that there's going to be this kind of equality in heaven that people who've been given the same grace, the same faith, the same faith, the same opportunity, the same Holy Spirit, and who stick two fingers up to God to use a very crude expression, but that's exactly what it is, and say, I'll live my life my way. I don't care about you. Do you think that God is going to look at that person on the, with the same degree of, of favor and reward as somebody who's given their life for Christ, either in sacrificial service or in had, their, had everything taken from them? We've got to wise up, friends. What we do with what we have determines what we will see and enjoy in heaven. Even the book of Hebrews, speaking of this, says, without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. For the greatest reward of all, friends, is not all the crowns that the Bible speaks of. You only got one head. And even that, you're going to put your crowns at Jesus' feet. What is, what is reward? What is reward in kingdom terms? What were they arguing about? We want to sit on your left, sit on your right. Jesus says, those places are taken. It's a position of, of authority and honor. And here is it. It is proximity to Jesus. What if, and this is a theory, what if the knowledge we have of Jesus what we've attained by way of devotional relationship and, and the, the, the degree to which we've allowed the Spirit of God to form Jesus in us, that's what the knowledge of God is. Imagine if that degree was reflected in some way forever in eternity. I don't want to be ashamed on that day, do you? I want to have treasures in heaven. I want, to, I want to live for God now. Not so that I get rewards, as if to say, this is a, let's keep an account. Let's get uh, our finance department to help with a form. This person was rude to me, Jesus. This is what they said. But did you notice what I didn't say? I didn't retaliate. There's a reward. Thank you. <laughs> that visiting speaker was a prophet and... I brought them a cup of coffee. I know the Bible says cold water, but I hope you'll overlook that one. I want a prophet's reward. This isn't about bartering with God. This is about being so full of joy and growing in faith. And our faith is so authentic that it rings true in every detail, not just by what we say, but how we live. And we are producing fruit for him. And he is going to be happy about that. And I think the reward what better than this, than the smiling face of Jesus? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. Don't be short-sighted. Don't think if I live for myself now, I can start thinking about living for God when I get to heaven. Don't be short-sighted in your praying. You may come. Okay, God, what do I want? I want happiness, wealth, peace, prosperity, health. Um, I, I, I wanted a beautiful wife. You gave me one, but now it's 20 years on. Can I? <laughs> I want another one now. Um, 
And you know, God, the, 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 they're very wicked, these people. You know, that person stabbed me in the back. I just pray right now that you would send a thunderbolt from heaven. Kill him, Lord. Kill him. Kill him. All in love, Jesus. All in love. All in love. And all for your glory, Lord, not mine. All for your glory. Or are we going to say, you know what, Lord? I'm just so passionate for you. The faith, the real faith you've given me, I want it to be authentic and I'm going to live it. That is the authentic hallmark of genuine 21st century Christianity and it is all for him.